brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to, to gather on this evening with much to sing about. That's true throughout our entire Christian life, but as we are encouraged and drawn to think upon the birth of Christ, we just thank you for the opportunity to, to gather to make much of Jesus. So we desire that that would be what takes place through the songs that we sing, through the time that we spend reading your word together, preaching your word as well. I just pray that you be glorified this Christmas season in our church and in our homes, in our hearts, uh, that you'd be glorified in it all. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, much truth has already been proclaimed this evening as, as we began just in prayer and then through the songs that we've been singing and the scriptures that we have been reading. There's just been, been truth on display. This last song that we were just singing, in fact, really communicates a lot of truth that we need to think carefully about. It really kind of comes in, in question and answer format. So as you think of, of that first question that is asked of that last hymn, that last Christmas carol that we were singing, it asked the question, what child is this? Really, um, if you think of that question in a way, Really, really what we are asking is, who is Jesus? And what an important question to ask. More importantly, what an important answer to have, an answer that we have in, in the scriptures. Uh, even that question, who is Jesus, draws my mind to a text in the Gospels. I just want to read through a familiar section just to kind of begin our time as we think upon who, this question of who is Jesus. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 16, it's a very significant event that takes place. Jesus is with the disciples. And in verse 13, we read Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that section, Jesus himself asks, Who, who, do, they, who do they say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who is Jesus? is the question that is being asked there. And you read through a variety of these responses. There are, there are several answers that are given. There's only one right answer that is given, but, but the acknowledgement that is, that is made by these disciples, well, some say you're you know, just, just a man. You know, you're, you know, John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus really asking specifically of them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, with this confession, confesses rightly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we're seeing there, even in Matthew 16, and as we'll see through some reflection on the songs that we were just singing, not everyone has answered this question rightly. In fact, 
most do not have a right answer to this question of who is Jesus. And it is of utmost importance that we know the answer to this question. And it's obvious to us in this room where we go to find an answer to the question, who is Jesus? We go to the word of God, the um, inspired scriptures, um, God's word to us, our authority. We go to the scriptures uh, to, to answer this question of who is Jesus? What child is this that we celebrate over the Christmas season? And so uh, my goal in, in our short time uh, thinking carefully about this question is, is to look at several statements uh, that, that do come out in, in this particular carol, but really following a particular text in the scriptures to answer this, this question of who is Jesus. And so I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're really going to focus in on just two verses. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I just want to note several key phrases that the Apostle Paul gives us as we celebrate the birth of Christ, as we think carefully upon the birth of Christ, we see here in Galatians 4 the answer to who is Jesus. I should note that I don't want to at all be critical of what we were just singing, that the songs we sang provided for us very helpful answers. They're very helpful answers because they were informed by the scriptures. So as we sang, what child is this? This poem that was written by William Dix back in the 19th century. Uh, he asks uh, several questions in this carol, but he provides for us answers informed by the scriptures. So he rightly proclaims in this poem, what child is this? Well, he is the Christ. He is the king. The king of kings is, is what we're told in this carol. In this carol, what child is this? He is the Christ. He's the king. What child is this? This carol also reminds us that, that he is worthy of our worship. We're told to bring him laud, you know, praise. Praise is due to God alone. And here in what child is this? We are told this right object of our praise is this, this child born in a manger, Jesus, this king of kings. Is Christ the King. And it was not just in What Child Is This that we found helpful answers in that carol, but other songs that we have sung have helped us to rightly answer this question. What child is this? Well, we began the service confessing that Jesus indeed is this long-awaited Messiah. Christ has come as the prophets foretold. We, we read from Isaiah and that song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, reminded us that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. We sang of Christ, the everlasting Lord. That will be very helpful even tonight to think carefully about because we're right to say Jesus was born in the flesh. He was born in Bethlehem. But we also rightly know that Christ is this everlasting Lord who has eternally existed. Hark the Herald also spoke of, of Christ as the incarnate deity, Emmanuel, God with us. He is God in the flesh, so he's incarnate deity. He is Jesus, our Emmanuel, and he is Jesus, our Savior. Jesus came to save. 
Jesus came, as we sang, to reconcile God and sinners. And so, well, wonderful truths to sing about, but where did these writers get such wonderful truths to proclaim? It's straight from the scriptures. And so all of these statements that we just noticed are rooted in the text of scripture. And so here at this, this time now, I just want us to walk through Galatians 4 to, to think carefully about the answer to this question of who is Jesus? What child is this? Obviously, we didn't have to go to Galatians 4. If you even think about it, we could have, we could have gone to just to the Old Testament uh, to answer this, this question of who is Jesus as we think of those prophecies given in Isaiah. We certainly could have gone to a variety of places in the Gospels to think carefully upon the birth of Christ and what is noted in, in Luke chapter 2. We, we could have gone to Matthew. We could go to John 1 to think very carefully about the deity of, of Christ. But, but I do want us to just think carefully about Galatians 4. Okay, so in Galatians 4, let me just read four verses. We're going to really focus uh, on 4 through 7, uh, 4 and 5, but I'm going to go ahead and read 4 through 7. So, so hopefully you're looking at the text, Galatians chapter 4. And in verse 4 we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so if you just look at those two verses, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, you'll notice several phrases that we could just look at individually and we'll, we'll march through it quickly. We won't, we won't spend a great deal of time, but you would do well to think carefully upon this as, as we leave from here. But if you just look in verse 4, it is absolutely loaded. Because there, there are several statements that Paul makes here. He begins speaking of, of the timing of this event. When we talk about the birth of Christ, we first see here in the text that when the fullness of time had come, Christ was born. That's how Paul begins this the section right here. And, and so and the fullness of time, we'll talk about it in a second, but you'll see what happened in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. And, and who is this Jesus? Well, he was born of woman and born under the law. And so here's what happened at the fullness of time. Uh, here, uh, he, Jesus, born of woman, born under the law. And this is the answer to the what child is this? And then we might want to ask ourselves the question, well, why? Why all of this? Why this uh, um, incarnate deity? And, and verse 5 tells us, because he's the savior of the world. So God sent forth his son, verse five, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So let's just look at each of those phrases, beginning with the fullness of time. What a beautiful phrase. The fullness of time had come. I mean, what is Paul even referring to here when he makes such a, a, a careful statement. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, 
in the fullness of time. I mean, ultimately, we know the right answer to this question is, well, the fullness of time is just the reality that God is sovereign. You know, it's answered by the providence of God. What is the fullness of time? When when God so pleased to send forth his son. It's according to his sovereign purpose and will. It's according to his praise and glory. God is glorified through sending his son, and he did it when he so chose. Uh, Psalm 115.3 really kind of helps us uh, think carefully about an answer like this. You know, Psalm 115, speaking of God's sovereignty, reminds us that God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And so when you ask yourself the question, when we say the fullness of time, uh, what are we referring to here? And I believe it's right just to ultimately say, well, what's what God planned? It's what God desired. It's what God willed. But we also know that in God's sovereign purposes, he's sovereign over the means as well. So I think it is pretty neat to look back in history and see how, how God's sovereign purposes were accomplished in the particular context that took place because God was sovereign over that context as well. So Christ was born then in this, during this time, you know, that we refer to as, as the Pax Romana, you know, the, the Roman peace that existed throughout uh, the Mediterranean world. Uh, there, there was a particular unique just time of peace during this time, nearly 200 years of, um, of this peace that, that existed, and Christ was born in the midst of this setting of the Pax Romana. And so along with this, others have noted, and we do well to, to recognize this too, there, there's, in this setting, at this time, there's this common language. The Greek was, was just common throughout the world. And so you had a common language, you had peace, you had roads that were very easy to even, even travel. Uh, so you had, had roads, language, peace, you know, all throughout the Roman Empire. And so what's significant in it to think about is this made for a very favorable time for the message of Christ to be proclaimed. So, so Christ was born, Christ lived, and he died, um, and he was buried, and he rose again. And, and, and all of this took place in the providence of God uh, at the fullness of time so that the message of Christ could be proclaimed. And so one theologian pointed out, I thought this was neat, he wrote, in the fullness of time, Paul has pointed us to the truth that history had been orchestrated by the one true God. So we're always reminded that history is his story. God has orchestrated history to bring about his sovereign purposes. So at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The birth of Christ was right on schedule. Well, let's keep going because verse 4 has more. It's not just at the fullness of time. It says that God sent forth his son. There's much to observe here. It's a dense statement. God sent his son. It's a rich statement speaking to the deity of Christ. Jesus is God's son. And while it's right to note that he was born in Bethlehem, this statement, God sent forth his son, communicates, it implies that God existed prior to coming in the flesh. Christ existed prior to coming into the flesh. 
God's Son existed already from eternity with the Father. So as John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later in John 1, verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we think of God sent forth his Son, that's that John 1, 1 reality of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh. That's that reality of the incarnation born in Bethlehem. And so this statement that Paul provides here, God sent forth his son, communicates that pre-existence of Christ, that the son has eternally existed with the father. And there in Bethlehem, he was born in the flesh. If you're able, turn over to Colossians 1, just to to be reminded of this pre-existence of Christ. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So let's add to our answer, uh, what child is this? From what we have just been reading in these texts, they really are alluded to in the carols that we were singing. What child is this? He's the eternal son of God who was with the father in the beginning and all things were created through him and for him. So he indeed is truly God. That's what we see in Galatians 4.4. What child is this? He is truly God. And yet that's not the end of the answer. He's truly God. And verse four continues to communicate that he was truly man. As it lists that Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law. Truly God and truly man. As we we read earlier, Isaiah 7 spoke of, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Born of a woman testifies to this prophecy in Isaiah. Jesus was truly man. The word became flesh, born of a virgin. So as we think about the God-man, this truly God, truly man, God-man, we must note that it has to be this way. If God is gonna be our savior, it has to be truly God for him to be that Uh, sacrifice of infinite value, he has to be God. He has to be man in order to be that sacrifice in our place. Sinful mankind, we need a substitute. And so our substitute uh, to die for man, it must be man. So we needed, our savior must be truly God and truly man. And Galatians 4.4 shows us this. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He's truly God. He's truly man. This is exactly how the Chalcedonian Creed worded it. Back in the fifth century, wrote of Jesus, truly God and truly man. hundred years roughly prior to that, the Nicene Creed said, Christ, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. So we've we've rightly confessed this throughout church history, just as Peter confessed 
there back, what we read in Matthew 16, our confession about Christ matters. We must have a right confession about what child is this. And it's significant to note that this has not been uh, always uh, what has been the answer. There have been many wrong answers regarding who Christ is. When you think back to the very basis for those creeds, they were responding to error. So perhaps you think of Arius, the Nicene Creed is confronting this, this mindset that there was a time when Christ did not exist, or that Christ was a created being, or that Christ was not deity. So the Nicene Creed was correcting this Arian heresy. There were other heresies that denied the humanity of Christ, saying that Christ just appeared to be a man. And so the, the Chalcedonian Creed also spoke both truly God and truly man. We must have a right understanding that Jesus, what child is this? He is truly God and truly man. And verse four continues with one more phrase. I do recognize I need to pick up the pace here, but look at that last phrase in verse four. Uh, this, this child that was, was um, uh, sent forth by God, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus, like all mankind, in his humanity, was under obligation to keep the law. But unlike man, he's like us in every way, except that he never sinned. He remained sinless. So unlike man, he satisfied the law's demands. He satisfied the law's demands by perfect obedience to the law. And so he is that spotless, unblemished lamb, the only worthy sacrifice. He was sinless. He became sin for us. Think of even the language of 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's important for all of us in here to understand our greatest need is righteousness. Because in order for us to be right with God, we need righteousness. And we're sinners. So we need a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. Martin Luther would refer to this as alien righteousness. And a righteousness that's apart from us. And, that's, and so the only way that we can be made right with God is if we are declared righteous. And the only way that we can be declared righteous is if we place our faith in Christ. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone. And we trust in Christ as our Savior. Uh, and Christ paid for our sin. He took our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Uh, and we are credited with his righteousness. That's the great exchange of the gospel. When we're justified before God, when we are declared righteous before him in Christ. So we need righteousness and we are declared righteous because of Christ. And that's the argument that's going on in this entire book of Galatians. And so here in chapter four, Paul is, is speaking to who is Jesus. And then there's a very significant reality that follows. He's answered, who is Jesus? Well, he was sent forth. Uh, God sent forth his son. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. And then the next verse tells us why he came to do what he came to do. Verse five says, to redeem. 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why did God send his son? To redeem us. I mean, back, back to our carol. We're singing, what child is this? Um, why did God the son come in the way that he came? Why such a humble estate? When you're thinking of the setting of his birth, why the nails and spears that pierce him through? Why uh, the God-man? Why did God send forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons? And so at Christmas, we rightly celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate that God sent forth his son, that Jesus was born of a woman, that Jesus was born under the law. But, but why Christmas matters is because we recognize that what happened happened for a purpose. Why did he come? To redeem us. And as I've already stated, he redeemed us um, through the person and work of Christ. It's by faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. It's by Christ alone that God and sinners are reconciled. It's in Jesus Christ who are brought into a right relationship with God. We're declared righteous and we're brought into God's family. We're made right and, and now we're we brought in to his family. That's the way the rest of that passage goes. Uh, we, we receive adoption as sons, but then in verses six and seven, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I'd encourage you to spend some time thinking through those, those four verses in Galatians 4, even over maybe perhaps on Christmas Day, to think upon the person and work of Christ. Uh, it comes to my mind at Christmas. I, I love to sing. I love music. And I'm just always mindful of what another musician has said, that the music is great, but Jesus is greater. And so at Christmas, we get to sing great music about our great Savior. So just what a privilege for us to even to gather as a church, to sing about Christ, to think about Christ, to make much of Christ, to adore him, um, as these songs have encouraged us to do. So let me just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Christ. We delight in the realities of, of the incarnation, as, as we're even mindful of here in Galatians 4, that in the fullness of time, God, you are sovereign over all things, and in your perfect timing and according to your perfect plan, you sent forth your Son, your only Son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity who has eternally existed, who created all things, and you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem us. So God, I pray that everyone in this room understands this as has already been prayed and has already been sung. God, we are left to ourselves dead in our sin. Our sin is an offense against you because you are holy and you can have nothing to do with sin. And so because of your love, you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die in our place so that we 
could be made right so that we could be reconciled to you, God and sinners reconciled. We delight in this truth, and I pray that everyone in this room would know that to be true and would be would respond rightly to that truth. They would be trusting in Christ alone for their salvation, seeking to serve you all their days. God, I pray that you would be made much of this Christmas season. We're thankful for the many blessings you've given us, but we, we know that, that our greatest need has been met in Christ, and so we delight in that greatest of blessings, person and work of Christ. Love you. Commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.